What is up guys, Zach Barry here. It is Thursday, July 14th, and I know what you're thinking. Why are we getting an excuse you on a Thursday? Well, you're not. This is a Red Sox special. We're breaking down the first half. We're talking about the trades. We're talking about the trade deadline. We're talking about the All-Star break. We're talking about making the playoffs, winning the World Series, everything Red Sox. That's what's going on right now. Uh, so I just got a phone, had a great discussion with uh, Jared Carabas, uh, big Red Sox guy, writes for Barstool, knows what he's talking about. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, a lot of great stuff. Um, the Sox just literally hours ago made a move, brought in a uh, left-handed all-star pitcher from the Padres, Drew Pomeranz. Uh, you'll get Jared's reaction to that. I'll talk about it after the interview. Um I'm going to dive into some stats, some interesting stuff I found. Um, we're going to give grades out after and just react to the first half and what we can expect moving forward. Um, before we do that, again, here's a great interview with Jared Kravis. Uh, and I'll be back right after this. All right, I'm here with Jared Carabas, Red Sox writer for Barstool Sports, uh, baseball show on Comcast Sports Network, and contributor to 98.5 The Sports Hub. He also hosts the Section 10 podcast, a Red Sox uh, podcast, who he does with Pete Blackburn. I don't know if you knew this, but I had Pete on my first episode on Monday. I did not know that, actually. Yeah, we talked Bruins offseason. Oh, it was exhilarating. <laughs> All right, so we're talking Red Sox uh, first half, and obviously you've had a busy day with all the trades and signings that have gone on. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a, a busy day for the Red Sox. Uh, they, did, they got a lot done today, so it was nice to see that they're actually uh, making moves ahead of everybody else right now. Yeah, I mean, they took advantage of not having a game and just said, who needs a day off? Let's just get going. Uh, yeah, I mean, so right now, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, they're in a position right now where a lot of teams need pitchers, and there's plenty of teams who are looking to add at the trade deadline, which is actually August 1st this year. It's usually July 31st. Um, but... You know, the Red Sox are desperate. They want to get the second half going uh, on a positive note. And, um, yeah, they did that today by going out and getting Drew Plummer in from the Padres. Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that. Uh, that's a big move. Obviously gave up a big prospect in Anderson Espinosa. Uh, so what, what, what are your thoughts on that move? Do you like it? Don't like it? Um. So my first reaction, I mean, because when the news broke, it was Red Sox trades for Drew Pomeranz. So right off the bat, you're excited about that because that's going to be um, probably one of the best trade options for them uh, for a few reasons. First, obviously, because he's an all-star. He has a fourth lowest ERA in uh, MLB right now. Uh, he's a lefty. He's young. He's cross-controlled. He's got uh, two arbitration years after this year, so you have him the rest of this year and then in 2017 and 2018 um, the free agent market for starting pitchers this offseason is brutal yeah. uh, Clay Buckholz might be one of the best free agent starters on the market so that's really all you need to know about the market 
Um, so they needed to go out and get someone, not just for 2016 that can help them this year, but they needed somebody who could help them um, in 2017 and beyond that as well. So it, they, they kind of uh, addressed that issue all in one swoop by getting Pomeranz. Uh, so then maybe 20 minutes after you find out that the Red Sox traded for Pomeran, you find out that they have to give up Anderson Espinosa for him, who is their top pitching prospect. So that stings a lot. Uh, so, I mean, to the question of do I like it, I think the answer is more um, not really if I like it or not, but do I think it was necessary? Absolutely, for the reasons I just said. Um but yeah, you're giving up your top pitching prospects, so that's gonna hurt. You know, especially when you're getting a guy in Pomeranz who doesn't really have much of a track record. And this, he's 27 years old. This is the first time in his career that he's pitched over 100 innings. So you know, if you're giving up your top pitching prospect, you're, you're expecting to get someone that you know regularly pitches you know 180 to 200 innings a year, and he's never done that, and he's never pitched over 100 innings before this season, so, um, you know, it's, it's a risk. They're definitely rolling the dice, but it's a risk that they have to take because, you know, they weren't going to, you know, there's no guarantee that they would even make it to the postseason, but there's no, there's definitely a, a good chance that they wouldn't make it very far in the postseason with the rotation of David Price, Rick Porcello, and Stephen Wright, and then you mix in Eduardo Rodriguez and Clay Buckles. I mean, that's not just, that's not a standout type of rotation, but now you had an all-star left-hander um, who, you know, again, is, has one of the lowest ERAs in the league. So, yeah, it, it's something that I think was necessary for them. Yeah, and parting with Espinosa, like the best pitching prospect in the organization, but also they just signed first-round pick uh, Jason Groom, who I'll give you credit. You were the first one I saw that confirmed the signing. So I liked that, uh, that he's a great prospect. I've heard him compared to being the next Kershaw. So that eases the pain of losing your last top prospect when he can come in and maybe step into that role. Right, yeah. So basically what happened with that was um, there were a few different reasons why he kind of fell to the Red Sox in the first place in the draft. Uh one of the biggest issues was signability. Uh, his agent was floating out there that they were looking for $4 million as a signing bonus, um, which, you know, that's not really something that you would hand out for someone that's taken, um, you know, below the, the first, second, or third pick. So teams were hesitant about the signability issue because he could easily go to a junior college, and uh, if he did that, then he'd be able to re-enter the draft next year. Um, so then I, I think that what they they did, I mean, they, they, they did give him less than $4 million. Yeah, so it's 3.65. Yeah, 3.65, so that they, they got under what, uh, I guess, Groom and his agent were looking for. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's obviously good that the Red Sox were able to sign him and then still have some money left over to spend on the rest of their draft picks. And continuing on, like, the young pitcher note, the and that pitcher in the high A for the Celtics that threw 105 miles an hour, I don't know much about him. Do you have any take on him, what he can be? I mean, throwing 105 miles an hour, that's not average. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's throwing 
pretty much one of the, uh, I mean, right now, now that Espinosa is in San Diego and Groom is in the fold, I mean, Kopik is probably your, your uh, in the conversation of your number one pitching prospect at the moment. I don't know where organizations are going to slot Groom in terms of rankings, but um, it's, it's one of those things that uh, right now he's 20 years old. He broke his hand. I mean, he should be in double A right now, but he's not because of the hand injury. Um, he's, he's in single A right now. He's in high A, such as Salem. Uh, but I believe he hasn't allowed a run yet this year. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that you don't hear a whole lot about. Espinosa was a guy that you heard a lot about because he was the top guy. So now it'll be interesting to see uh, how they rank Red Sox prospects in terms of um, – Who's number one? Is it Groom or is it Kopik? Uh, either way, you know, those are your two top pitching prospects. And, you know, the Red Sox are, for the first time in a long time, actually have some good young pitching in the pipeline here. Yeah, and uh, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but he when he did break his hand, he did that punching a teammate, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he punched his, uh, I think it was his roommate, uh, who was his teammate, yeah, so... That's that's um, always good. Yeah, it was it was one of those things. I mean, he was also had that PED suspension for amphetamine yeah. last year. So yeah, I mean, you know, Groom is another guy who there there's some there's some buzz around him about being like a young and dumb kind of guy that made some mistakes off the field as well. But hopefully, you can just chalk that up to again being young and stupid. Hopefully, I mean. With both of with their ceiling so high for those two guys, you'd hate to see them lose it to off uh, field stuff. Um, so going into the first half of the season, kind of looking back at that, what was going into the season? How did ah uh, can't speak right now? How did your expectations at the beginning of the season hold up to how the team wrapped up the first half? Um, I think that. They were about on pace with what I expected, uh, you know, at least from a team perspective. I think if you break it down individually, there are some stories that you didn't really expect to happen, like David Price, you obviously didn't expect him to um, have an ERA over four at the halfway point. Healy Ramirez, you didn't expect him to be good defensively at first base. Uh, Travis Shaw, you didn't expect him to get the starting job out of spring training and lose Pablo Sandoval for the year. Uh, Jack Spratley Jr., I don't think anyone expected him to be an all-star this year. So there's some great stories that are involved um, if you break it down individually. But if you look at it from a team perspective, I think that they're right where they're supposed to be. Only the team that's ahead of them, I wouldn't have. I mean, I picked, I picked the Orioles division last place just because their rotation is so terrible. Um, I still think that they'll finish in third. I think that it's going to come down to the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that at the halfway point, we'd be looking at the Blue Jays in first place and the Red Sox not far behind. But right now, it's, you know, the Red Sox and Blue Jays are knotted up in second place, two games behind the Orioles. So I think that they're right where they're supposed to be. And now, um, you know, you see the Brad Ziegler addition um, after the Kimbrell injury and the Drew Pomeranz addition. So they're getting better, which is what you need. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're in a good spot, and they're, they're improving, they're getting better. And hopefully, if Rodriguez can get right, then you have, you know, another addition that you didn't have to give anything up for. It's just, it was an internal solution that righted itself. 
Yeah, and uh, I have a idea for our fifth uh, starting spot. It's a little crazy, but I don't know if you saw Al Horford threw out a pretty good first pitch. So I, I did see that. We've tried every other option. I say we give him a shot. Yeah, he uh, he also kicked over his kid um, when he threw out that first pitch. I don't know if you noticed that. But, yeah, so he was um, distracted and he still threw a good pitch. I mean, true, very true. I was excited to see that, but um, yeah, I mean, hopefully the addition of Pomeroy has been the end of Clay Buckle for rotation. I mean, obviously Rodriguez has a higher upside, but um, I have some concerns about Rodriguez coming back into the rotation so soon after they sent him down. He only had two starts, right? What'd you say? He only had two starts down with uh when he got sent down before they brought him back up? Right. Yeah, two starts, and there were multiple issues that he had to work on. I mean, they had to, um, first and foremost, uh, work on a slider. He needed to add a third pitch because he was just a fastball. Um, change-up pitcher, which is not going to play, especially as a, a starting pitcher in the American League East. So he really needs to work on that slider, which I highly doubt he was able to do in two starts. Um, and then you have the, the knee injury, which uh, I still think that they brought him up originally too soon. I think that they rushed him up here because they needed help and they weren't ready to make a trade yet. Um so there's that. I mean, the confidence is another thing. Obviously, he got rocked up here. He got screamed at by Pedroia on the mound. I mean, his confidence has to be at an all-time low. I don't think that that was fixed in two starts in Pawtucket. Um, and then the the last thing too is the pitch tipping. So I don't think that that's something that uh, ever really gets fixed. I think it's something that pitchers maybe learn to disguise a little bit better. But I think Maloney said it best. Like you know, once a tipper, always a tipper. It's just a matter of, you know, how good are you at detecting it. So he's got to get better at hiding it. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure there's anything that you listed that can be improved. I mean improved, but fixed in two starts. That would be tough. Uh, right. There's no way. So with the moves that uh, Dombrowski's already made, bringing in Hill to add a little depth to the infield, Ziegler to the pen, now Pomeranz to the rotation, uh... What do you think, if anything, he still has to do? I think they might need they need to look for someone in left field and maybe add a little bit more in the bullpen because I think that's a concern moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, maybe Chris Young is that guy when he comes back off the disabled list for left field. I know that I mean, they're basically paying him to be somewhat, not an everyday player, but close to it, uh, which would allow Brock Holt to go back into that super utility role that I know that they, they value him so much being in. Um, so that's one thing, if, if you get Chris Young back, who honestly was their hottest hitter when he went on the stable list, so that would be a huge upgrade for them. Uh, but I, I can also see them going out and getting someone like a Danny Valencia or something like that, just to put out some field. Um, I also wouldn't rule, I know it's a long shot, but I wouldn't rule out seeing Andrew Benintendi maybe in left field at some point, maybe in late August, early September. That's something to consider as well. And then relievers, you know, that's that's going to be tough too because there are going to be plenty of teams uh, looking for relievers. But kind of, it, it's almost a gift and a curse at the same time. Uh, a lot of the relievers that people are going to, or teams that are going to be looking at are with the Yankees. 
you know, people are going to be wanting to trade for Andrew Miller. Dylan Betancer, so someone that's probably going to be off the table just because the Yankees have no reason to trade him. Chapman is a free agent after the year. Miller has one more year after this year, but Betancer is under team control for, I think, another four or five years, something like that. So there's no reason to move him in uh, some sort of like a fire sale. Uh, but, yeah, I think the teams are going to be focused on the biggest names in the market, and they belong to the New York Yankees, and, and the, the likelihood that the Yankees would trade within the division. I mean, Chapman, that's still a long shot. I mean, they're, they're going to try and get a huge chip for Chapman, even if he is a, a rental. Yeah. Um, but but Miller, like I said, has one year left after this year, so they're not going to trade Miller within the division to their divisional rival. Um, who can pitch against them in 2017 when they're going to look to compete in 2017. So while all those other teams are focused on Miller and Chapman, I think the Red Sox will kind of get creative, look elsewhere. You know, Vizcaino from the Braves is another name that uh, is kind of flying under the radar right now. Um, so they're going to have to they're going to have to look elsewhere uh, that pretty much every other team is looking, which could play to their benefit. Yeah, and. Going into that, no matter who they look to bring in, is Moncada untouchable in your mind? Like, no matter who is available, you don't move him? Um, so, I, I've been pretty consistent with how I feel about Moncada and his, his trade value in that the only guy that I'm moving Moncada for is Jose Fernandez, and that's not happening this year. Maybe you think about that in the offseason, but even still... You know, you could argue that six years of Juan Moncada is worth more than two years of Jose Fernandez, which is what you'd be getting him for. Uh, he's a Scott Boris client, so I highly doubt that um, he would sign an extension to stay in Boston. So, I mean, it's not a rental, but it is only two years that you'd be getting him for. And by all accounts, I don't know if you saw the MLB Futures game, but Juan Moncada looks like a superstar. I mean, he draws comparisons to uh, uh, Robinson Cano, and then Scott stated his swing mirrors that of uh, Mike Trout. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously there's plenty of hype when it comes to prospects, but if you just watch this guy, you can see that he's going to be a, a well-polished major league superstar. Yeah, he really impressed in the Futures game. I was very impressed with what I saw. Uh, so looking forward to the rest of the season, how do you think the team's going to do? Will they, will they not make the playoffs? I mean, they're right on the bubble right now. Uh, what are your predictions going forward? Um, so it, it really all depends on what these teams do at the deadline. I mean, I can't tell you right now on July, whatever it is, the 14th, yeah. I can't tell you that you know the Red Sox are going to catch fire and pass all these teams and uh, finished first in the uh, division and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you really don't know what you're sizing up against until after the deadline. Because the Red Sox are making moves right now. Um, but, I mean, you got to figure the Orioles and the Blue Jays are not going to stand pat. Uh, so you really don't know um, for the remainder of the season what you're going to be up against. So I, I would expect both of those teams to make some moves. I mean, that's the prediction right there, that those guys are going to be adding at the deadline. It's just a matter of do they pull the trigger on the right moves that are going to um, give them an advantage over the Red Sox down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, so last question here, and I'll let you go. Um, 
I ask this to everyone who's come on, which has been Pete. Uh, if you could change one rule in any sport, what would it be and why? Um, a little I bit of a curveball here. I would probably change the rule about uh, the all-star game in Major League Baseball, uh, giving the winner of that game home field advantage in the World Series. I think it's the dumbest thing about the MLB. I think that um, there are better ways to do it, and they don't necessarily have to make it the, the, the team with the best record has home field advantage, but there's definitely ways to figure it out so that uh, you know an exhibition game doesn't decide the future of a championship in a city. I completely agree with that. Uh, so on that note, uh, this uh, to the listeners, follow Jared on Twitter at Jared underscore Carabas. Um, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. back that was jared kravis dude knows what he's talking about uh so let's get right into it i thought the red sox first half was surprising for a couple reasons one is if you told me at the beginning of the season that we would be complaining about the way hanley ramirez is producing offensively and that he's playing fine defense at first base i would have said you are insane but that's the case. Hanley is fine defense. That's not a problem. He's fine in the field. But at bat, it's just awful. He went through that little stage where all he was saying was, oh, I'm about to go off. Like, he hit that one monster home run over the green monster. And he was telling the reporters, oh, I'm about to go off. Watch out. I'm about to catch fire. No, you're not, Hanley. No, you're not. Um, if you told me that David Price wasn't going to be an ace, he wasn't going to be the guy we thought we were paying as much money as we paid him, I would have said, it's David Price. He might not pitch well in the, uh, in the postseason, but in the regular season, he goes out and he competes. He's a good pitcher, but that's not the case. He's really stepped it up in his last several starts. I mean, he's been pitching solid. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, uh. I'm not a David Price hater like most of Sox fans have become where you're just ripping the guy because he's not winning. Since he's been able to kind of keep the ball in the park more, he's still getting uh, 10Ks a game. I think he has 10 strikeouts in his last three starts or whatever. Like He's pitching well. Pitched eight shutout innings in that win against the Rays on Sunday. He knows how to be an ace. He is an ace. He just hasn't found it yet, and I think hopefully coming out of the All-Star break, He'll continue on the upward trend he had, and that'll develop, and he'll be able to really be that ace down the stretch and lead this team to the promised land. Um, Poppy, of course, just going off. This isn't how you have a retirement tour. No one does this except Poppy. You know, who else? Poppy's going off. He's going off. He's going to hit, like, 78 home runs. Well, probably not 78, but you never know. He could just keep it going. Start cranking one out every game. I mean, he's a legend. Anyone who tries to tell me that Poppy isn't a Hall of Famer, I don't care if he's a DH. I don't care. Pete Rose, I don't care how many hits he has. Look at what he's done. The clutchest 
hitter of all time. He's Big Poppy. No one doesn't like Big Poppy. So put him in the Hall of Fame. If you don't think so, you're just you're crazy, man. I don't understand you. We probably can't be friends if you don't think that David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying. Uh, so overall, I'd say pitching underwhelming, really underwhelming. I mean, uh, this stat I saw today is mind blowing. Like I am shocked. I mean, not surprised, but not surprised by the stat itself, but just shocked that this is a thing. Outside of Price, Wright, and Porcello, all other Red Sox started starters had a combined ERA of 7.22 in 33 games. We have the best offense in the league. You just have to keep the other team from scoring like five runs and we'll win almost every game. But in those fourth and fifth starts, every rotation we were giving up an average of seven and a half runs. That is insanely bad. You can tell me that stat. If that's the only stat you told me about this team, I would tell you that this team is like 10 games below 500, eight games back, not even in a race. If it wasn't for our offense, this team wouldn't be anything. Right now, the Red Sox lead the league in runs, hits, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, doubles, runs batted in, um, and extra base hits. That's lunacy. That is absolute lunacy. Imagine if we had five capable starters, what this team could be doing right now. I mean, we're already, what, 11 games above 500, only two games back of the Orioles. And that is strictly due to some streaky pitching, but consistently, consistently hot bats. Mookie, Petey, Ortiz, Jackie Bradley. Uh, right now, um, what's his face? The uh, oh my God, I can't even think of his name right now. The catcher, Sandy Leone. He's he's tearing the cover off the ball right now. Hill just brought him, and he's already raking. Already got two RBIs and a couple hits in his two games. Uh, Poppy, I think I already said him. I think basically everyone on this team except Hanley has been tearing the cover off the ball and just almost consistently throughout the year just dominating. Well, our pitching is the complete opposite. 18th in ERA, 18th in home runs allowed, 18th in walks. You can't be... A World Series team, a team that people will say, I can see this team making a run if you don't have good pitching. If we went into a play-in game right now, a wild-card play-in game to get into the playoffs, to get into the postseason, I cannot say with confidence that we can win that game because I don't know the performance that I can, that we can get out of a starting pitcher. Price, obviously the guy you throw out on the mound, I think. I mean, he's your ace. He's got to step up in the second half. And again, like I was saying, he's not been a bad performer. He's not been 
horrible. He just haven't hasn't lived up to the expectations of an ace with how much money he is getting paid. Do I think it's even possible? Do I think unless he was right now a like a Cy Young candidate? I think anything less than being a candidate for the Cy Young, people would have said that we overpaid him. I think that's just the way Boston sports fans are. We're ruthless. We expect the very best. I mean, we're title town for a reason. And I think that's hard on Price because he has been pretty consistent in being slightly above average, but not an ace. Uh, Right? Obviously a bright spot. I mean, you didn't even expect him in the rotation at the beginning of the year, and he was an all-star. That's just beautiful. Um, The knuckleballer, Tim Wakefield, I mean, it's got a history here in Boston, and I love to see it. I mean, when he's going, the knuckleball is just fun to watch batters try to figure out what to do with it. Um, Porcello, he's been doing his thing. Um, Again, nothing great, but he's been going out there and just pitching well enough for the team to win. And that's all you can ask of him. Like, but when you look at guys like Buckholtz, oh my god, I don't want to see him start another game for the Red Sox ever. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, he's going to start the game tomorrow. He got sent down to fix, like what Carabas was saying, he got sent down to fix so many things. In two starts, that's impossible. You can't do that. I don't know what they're thinking with that. I really think that we should just not, like, forfeit every fifth game or something because we don't have a fifth starter that we can rely on at this point, which sucks. Uh, We did add a fourth starter, Drew Pomeranz, even though we did give up our top pitching prospect in Espinosa, I I'm a big fan of the move because you're making a push this year. You're trying to make that run this year. You're doing it Poppy's last year. Like this is the year you want to go in and you want to put your all your chips in and say, "Look, we're going in on this." Obviously, I'm not saying you're trading Benintendi, you're trading Moncada, you're trading uh what's his face? Um Kopech, uh, you're not trading any of those guys. Those guys are untouchable. But um, I like moves to improve this team now without giving up the future. You can give up some of the future. You can't give up all of it. And I think that they made, Dombrowski made the right move here. Uh, his numbers, if you haven't seen them, He's a left-handed pitcher. He was an all-star. He's 27 years old. He turns 28 in November. Uh, First half numbers, he had a 2.47 ERA, 10.1 strikeouts per nine, 3.6 walks per nine, and 17 starts. Um, He did get 20 of his strikeouts against opposing pitchers, which is a big number. Um, which obviously you're going to see it a little different now in the AL. Um, this, like, as Kravis was saying, it's first time over 100 innings. Um, so it'll be interesting. It's 
a roll of the dice by Dombrowski to see if he'll be able to keep it up. Um, and if he'll be able to stay on the pace he is as an unproven commodity. It definitely is a question mark. There's no way you can guarantee. You can't guarantee anything, but it's very hard to certain say with certainty that uh, Pomeranz will come in here and do what he's been doing. I think he's capable of it. I think he can do it, but I don't think it's a guarantee. It's a gamble, and if it pays off, Dombrowski looks like a genius. If it doesn't, people will be furious that you gave up a prospect like uh, like Espinoza for him. You did fill that role of the top pitching prospect, though, because right now the Sox have depth in the pitching line. You got uh, Kopech throws 105 miles an hour. I don't care about anything else. If you throw 105 miles an hour, like I'm impressed with you. Whatever else you got, I've heard he's got some good off-speed stuff to play with. But give me 105 miles an hour and just throw it right down the middle. And you'll break bats. I don't know. But I don't. I have a problem with him. I think he's a great top prospect. And obviously, Jason Groom, people are saying he's the next Clayton Kershaw. Uh, one person said, one, I forget who it was, said that he's the best um, prospect that he's seen. It was some scout. The best prospect he's seen in the last four years. Um, he was projected to go number one overall. Slipped to the Celtics at t- uh, Celtics. The Red Sox at 12 um, because of some off-field things and people didn't know uh, if he was going to sign. Celtics nailed it down. Uh, They gave him a $3.65 million signing bonus. He was expected to go for four. Love that. You know, saving money. Um, He's a real bright spot if... His off-field antics that were a little bit of a distraction for some people can stay in line and he can keep on pace and reach the ceiling and reach what he's projected to go because the Red Sox haven't had many pitchers they've developed in their organization. I think the last one you can really look at is John Lester. Besides that, um, Buckholtz. Um, other than that, there's not really too many starting pitchers that the Red Sox have developed on their own. And that's a problem, obviously. You need to be able to build with from within with this league and to succeed. And with these uh, pieces to the puzzle, I think Dombrowski will be able to make the team better as he has this year and continue to make the team better down the road. And even though he's known as someone who will come in and ship away your top prospects, I think he looks at this team and realizes the not he doesn't just have top prospects. He has some very special players like Moncada and Benintendi and Kopech and now Groom. Um, like if you saw Moncada in the Futures game, he looked like an absolute stud out there. Crushed a bomb 
to left field, played great defense. Um, he, he just knows what he's doing out there. You know he is going to be a star in this league once he gets his shot. Obviously, he's a second baseman. We have a second baseman. They're saying try him out as third base. Uh, why not? Give him a shot. Throw him in left field. I want his bat. I want his athleticism. I want his attitude on this Red Sox team. He's going to be a star. It's just a matter of where he is that star and when he is that star. They're saying same thing with Ben Attendi. Uh, he's the left fielder in the future for the Red Sox. Uh, he might come up, as Karabas was saying. Uh, Dombrowski was hinting at it. He might be up playing some games towards the end of this season, which would be great to see. It's always attractive for fans and for an organization to show glimpses of the future, even if they're not ready to be starters in this league, to just for those players to be able to show what they have and what they're able to offer this team in the future. It's a great look. Like, no one complains when you bring up a future prospect, uh, even if it's just for a couple games, and you see the glimpses of what he's going to be when he finally develops into that player, and you're like, wow, I can't wait to watch this kid put on a Red Sox uniform every day and win an MVP award, win all the awards, lead this team in the postseason, because that's the kind of talent that these guys possess. And that's what you need, obviously, to win. You need these unbelievably talented players, and the Sox have that now. And the young players they have, Betts, Bradley, uh, Bradley Jr., and Bogarts. And you also have it still coming through the pipeline. You're not done with the homegrown talent. You still have more. You have pitchers coming up. I think all in all, this team is going to be very, very successful down the road. Because I'm only imagining in my head right now, when you have a lineup with Betts, Bradley Jr., Bogarts, Moncada, Benintendi, and then you still have Petey, who's aging, but he's been still performing consistently. And that's six right there, guys, that are going to be stars in this league and are going to dominate what they do. That's a bright future. So even though right now they're in a middle ground, just slightly above 500, not projected to win the World Series, I think give it a couple years. Let these pitchers develop. Let everything set into place, and this team will if they manage to keep everyone here, everyone under contract, they don't trade anyone away, we'll be able to dominate for several years, win a couple championships, and it'll be like all Boston sports. Title town, baby. We win. That's what we do. And the Red Sox are going to be doing it real soon. I mean, I'm not saying they can't win this year. Anything's possible. I'm saying no one's saying... Oh, I see the Cubs and the Red Sox in the World Series because the Red Sox have too many variables going forward. You don't have reliable pitching at this point. You don't have a reliable bullpen. You don't have a reliable manager. You don't have 
okay, those are really the three things you don't have. But if you have that many question marks, you can't correctly assume, project, predict where this team will be in a month, where this team will be in two months, um, and how this team can do under the pressure of a playing game or in the postseason. Talking about managers, uh, I think at this point it's safe to assume Farrell keeps his job for the rest of the year. Um, If they were going to make a move, I think it would have already happened. Obviously, what are they on a four-game win streak right now? Or something like that. You can't move him now, so... I don't think he's necessarily costing the team wins. He's not a good manager, uh, but he'll be here for the rest of the season. Whether Red Sox fans like or don't like that, uh, that's what's going to happen. I Unless this team loses their next like 10 games and just falls completely off the face of the earth, which, I mean, isn't impossible. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say pretty confidently that Farrell will be your manager whenever the season comes to the end, whether it's in the postseason, whether it's after winning a championship, what have you. I think how he manages going forward will tell you what he will do next year, what Dombrowski will do, what how the team will approach the managing situation because if he manages to turn this team around, they somehow fixes all the dumb mistakes he makes as a manager. I don't know if you guys saw that GIF uh, or Vine or whatever it was of him looking up at the absolute moonshot O'Sullivan gave up with the bases loaded. That went foul. He looked like, oh my God, my career as a manager just ended on the swing of that bat. Like, he was looking at, like, oh... I died laughing. It was probably the best thing I've seen in a while. Um, definitely entertaining. And now that face is all over everything Red Sox. And I love it. Um, so, I'm going to go ahead and make my predictions for the rest of the year. I think the team finishes not in first place of the East. I think we have to play a playing game to get in. And, um, I think we win the playing game. A lot of people saying, I've even said it, I don't know if this team can win a playing game. Um, but I think, I'm saying it right now, the prediction is, we get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. But, you know, miracles happen. So, anything's possible. This team gets hot at the right time. They can win it all. I'm not putting it past them. But I'm saying with a very strong belief that this is actually what's going to happen, that the Sox team will get to the first round of the playoffs, I don't see them going much farther than that with the lack of depth in everything from just the bench to the bullpen to the uncertainty of what you can expect out of these starters.
obviously that's going to change depending on what dealing Dave Dombrowski does going down the trade deadline August 1st. He's got uh, how many days are in July? So he's got like 16 days to bring in a reliever, bring in some more depth. Um, I, I strongly believe he's not done making moves this offseason. And um, that's a good thing and a bad thing because you never know who he can, who he will give up. Um, I think there's two untouchables on this roster um, from a prospect standpoint, and it's Ben Attendee and Moncada. I don't want either of those uh, guys gone. Um, I think Dombrowski would be dumb to move them. It would not be in the team's best interest unless you're getting a absolute ace. Like, I'm talking, I want Zach Greinke, uh Chris Sale, whoever they can get that's, like, a proven winner, a proven ace. That's what I want if you're going to take Moncada from me, if you're going to take Benintendi from me. Anything lower than that, and I'm not having it. Most Red Sox fans don't want them touched at all. I don't know how they would feel about that, but I'm saying it right now. Do not touch Moncada. Do not touch Benintendi because there will be hell to pay from Red Sox fans and myself included because of the type of player those guys are going to be. So, with that being said, um, I think that's all I have on the Red Sox at this point. Nothing nothing else is on my mind. Um, I So, I'll leave it at that. Red Sox make it to the first round of the playoffs. Um, not saying they can't win it, but they can make a run. So... Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, follow me on Twitter at It's Zach Barry. Follow the show on Twitter at uh, Excuse You Sports. Um, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Rate, review. I really appreciate all the feedback. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Um, no. Nope.